0: hello everyone this is lisa fields the founder and president of the jude 3 project and i just want to take this time to personally thank all of our monthly supporters we could not do what we do without giving from people like you i greatly greatly appreciate it and if you're not a monthly supporter and you would like to become one you can go to ju 3 projectorg and hit the donate tab and sign up. We are grateful for you and we hope you enjoy today's new episode. God bless. Hello, welcome to the Jew 3 Project podcast. I'm your host Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew 3 Project what's up everybody this is lisa fields the founder and president of the jude 3 project i'm so excited that you're tuned in for another episode of the jude 3 project podcast um this week instead of hosting with a brand new episode we have um, a conversation between me and uh, Dr. Cynthia James and Yana Connor about the text of terror that we recorded for the Humble Hermeneutics podcast. Humble Hermeneutics is a podcast that's under the Jude Three Project umbrella between Dr. Cynthia James and Yana Connor, which is an intergenerational view on texts um, in scripture. And they go through a number of passages in the Bible. So if you haven't um, subscribed on iTunes or wherever you stream, or listen to your favorite podcast, do so. It's also available on YouTube, Humble Hermeneutic. They do a fantastic job. And today we're airing the episode where I was a guest um, on their podcast. And we talked about a passage in judges um, that I think you all will enjoy. So tune in uh, for this amazing conversation and I hope you enjoy it.
1: Y'all, what's good, y'all? Welcome to Humble Hermeneutics. i um, so thankful um, to have you all with us today. Um, I am one-third of the conversation uh, today. Um, my name is Yana Janae Connor, and then we have Dr. Cynthia James with us. Say hello to people, Dr. Cynthia. Hello. Thank you. <laughs> um, and then we have a uh, founder and president of the Jew3 Project, Lisa Fields. And um, Lisa, we are so thankful for uh, the opportunity that you've given us to host this podcast. And we are also just so thankful for all the things that you are doing for the kingdom uh, to ensure that people know that Christianity is not a white man's religion, um, but that it is one um, for all people, um, specifically. Um, Black people, and so I'm just so thankful um, for you and the work that you're doing, and so glad to have you on with us today.
0: Thank you for letting me be on y'all's podcast. I appreciate,
1: wow. it. <laughs> wow. okay. I appreciate <laughs> no, it. you know, it's you know, it's it's nothing, you know, really, <laughs> it's nothing to do that, um, uh, but no. So um, glad to have you with us today, Lisa, uh, because Dr. Cynthia James and I um, wanted to have a conversation about Judges 19. Um, And this is probably one of the heaviest passages in Scripture. So I just want to let everybody know just right up front, uh, this is going to be a a hard conversation uh, today. And if you have any sort of trauma in your background, um, you, you may want to not listen uh, to this, but maybe you will, uh, because I hope that in in our conversation that you would be able to see um, how God can work in all things, um, even the bad things, even the evil things that happen in our lives to bring about a particular good, um, a greater good. And so, you know, you would normally do this, but I'm just going to pray. I'm just going to pray. <laughs> Uh, open up our time with prayer, and then um, we'll we'll jump into um, God's word. Um, Father, thank you so much for your revealed word. Lord, we thank you um, that this book isn't just sunshine and rainbows, uh, but Lord, that it really gets to the nitty gritty uh, of life, um, and that it it shows us uh, how uh, to engage with moments like these and how to still hold on to a firm view and understanding of you um even in the midst of of hard things. So we thank you in Jesus name I do pray. Amen. Amen. So we're looking at the book of Judges today and uh if you are familiar with this book, you may know that one of the phrases uh that continues over and over in this book is that uh the people did what they thought was right in their own eyes and that there was no king in Israel. Um and so we come to Judges 19 and it starts off once again, reminding us that there is no king in Israel, but there's this Levite, right? And we know that Levites are of the, the priestly heritage of, of Israel. And there's a Levite and he's staying in a re- remote place um, in, in, in Ephraim and he acquires a woman. Now I know we already are like, we don't like the way that that sounds, but he, he acquires a woman. And she becomes his concubine. Well, his concubine is unfaithful to him. And in that, she leaves him and goes back to her father's house. Um, and then it says, you know, that he she was at her father's house for about four months. And I guess that was enough time for this Levite to say, you know, I'm gonna go get my woman because I miss her. And so he decides in his heart that he's going to go and, and, and speak kindly to her to win her back. Um, to to himself. So he goes to her father's house and he stays for about three days and um, he's doing what he needs to do to get his woman back. And uh, then the father, you know, uh, tries to get him to stay longer uh, by, you know, feeding him well and getting him drunk, (laughs) you know, and all this other kind of stuff. Um, And the first time he's able to get him to stay an extra night, but then eventually the Levite is like, yo, we got to go home. We just got to go home. So it's 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 approaching nighttime um and so his servant says to him hey i think that we um should should go and stay over into this town uh this jez jez jezbuzit <laughs> city um and spend some time there um but the levi says like yo i'm not staying in no foreign city i'm not staying with some wicked people <laughs> you know i I'm going to stay with my own people. And so they decide to go to another place called uh, Jebel. Um, and this is where the Benjamites um, live. And so they go and they encounter this older man. And he says, hey, where are you guys from? And where are you going? Um, and he says, well, why don't y'all come stay at my house um, for the night? So they go and stay at, at his house. You know, it's this is wonderful hospitality Uh, But then in verse 20, um, we see that this man invites them into his home, uh, gives them everything that they need. Um, He washes their feet, they eat and they drink. But then uh, the house becomes surrounded by wicked men, wicked men surround the house. I mean, just think about your house being surrounded by a group of men trying to get into your home, banging on your windows, banging on your doors, you know. uh, And so there's there's fear in the house. Right. And what these men want is for for the old man to give them the Levite so that they can have sex with him. And so, of course, the man is like, hey, this is a great (laughs) injustice for you to do. Uh, This man is a Levite. He is of the priestly order. Um, why I, we can't let you do that. But then he reasons in his mind that the best alternative is for him to offer over his virgin daughter um, and then also this man's concubine. Um, because in his mind, he's like, hey, if you do this to this priest, that is an outrageous thing. But I guess he felt like it, would, it wouldn't it would be so bad if they had sex with these women instead but in verse 25, it says, but the men would not listen to him. So the man seized the concubine and took her outside to them. This is the, the the. I don't, well, I don't know. This is the old man. And it says, and they raped her and abused her all night until morning at daybreak. They let her go. And early that morning, the woman made her way back uh, and it was getting light she collapsed at the doorway of the man's house where her master was. And when her master got up in the morning, opened the doors of the home and went out to leave on his journey, there was the woman, his concubine collapsed near the doorway. And he tells her to get up. How dare you, sir? (laughs) He tells her to get up um, and let's go. Um, But there was no response because she was indeed dead. And so this man puts her on his donkey and then he goes home and then he does this really peculiar and heinous thing. Uh, He picks up a knife. He takes his concubine, cuts her into 12 pieces, limb by limb, and then sent her throughout the territory of Israel. And it says he does this so that, uh, well, we know that he does this to kind of have some sort of judgment against the 12 tribes of Israel to, to essentially say like, look, Look how bad it's gotten uh, among us that we've allowed something like this to happen. And in this story in verse 30, um, it says, everyone who saw it said nothing like this has ever happened or has been seen since the day the Israelites came out of the land of Egypt up until now. And then it says, think about it, discuss it and speak up. All right who deep breath right um what are some of the initial things that stand out to you about this chapter
0: who who are you who are you uh, either one
1: okay lisa you're our guest so we'll let you go first
0: (laughs) (laughs) so this is one of my uh i feel like this is one of the most interesting passages in the scripture um and i've wrestled with it quite a bit um and this is the pass. one of the, the past one of the passages is that phyllis phyllis treble calls the text of terror one of the texts of terror and uh one of the reasons is a terrible text is because what happens to the woman in this passage um but i loved how you mentioned that there's this recurring phrase in the book of judges that everyone did what was right in their own eyes and i see the book of judge this book and this verse this chapter as a culmination of everyone doing what's right in their own eyes, that when we pursue uh, our own truths and our own quote unquote righteousness outside of what God's standard is. And we try to find our own righteousness or right way or truth that we end up pursuing a justice that is distorted. Mm -hmm. Um, And I see that the Levite goes and says, you know, to the, at the end, you know, cut, cuts her up into 12 pieces and says, look what y'all have done, as if he wasn't a part of the problem. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And I think one of the themes that comes out of this text for me is that when you pursue what's right in your own eyes, that you can can be a part of the problem, but excuse yourself from the problem or the consequences Mm -hmm. of the problem and impose those consequences on others without taking uh, responsibility yourself. Him, his his way of justice is is totally distorted. He cuts her up. First of all, first of all he throws her out. Mm-hmm. And then he cuts her up. And then said, look what y'all done. And my thought is no, look what you've done.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And um, so I think that's one of the things. I'll save uh some of the others for later, but I think that's the the first glaring thing that stands out uh for me in that in that text.
1: Yeah, that he doesn't see his own his own wrong. Um, and that's so true. You know, we even see things happen around us that are unjust. It's very easy for us to point fingers at other people and not consider how we we partner with those things, mm-hmm. you know. Um, yeah, no, that's good
0: that's the American story but though isn't it that
1: um
2: where you're describing for us that he is challenging them to say look what you've done is that in uh that's why I was pulling my Bible again because I missed so much in this text is that in his actions he's saying that or is there phrasing um where he's saying that
1: yeah. Where is it?
2: He tosses the responsibility to those around him.
1: Yeah. And so that's inferred through like his actions. His and actions. then as I've just consulted like other commentaries about this, that is like the leading interpretation that this is, he's doing this as an act of judgment, which is why he spreads it out amongst the 12, mm-hmm. um, uh, ter- or the 12 tribes. Um, limb by limb throughout the territory of Israel. And we see in the people's response, right, that they they get it. They understand what he's trying to communicate. Like, yo, how did we get here to a point where uh, a concubine would be raped all night long and then like literally like thrown away and left in the field? Um, and it's just something about that event that causes Israel to To sort of have a, a prodigal son moment, you know, where it's like, "Hey, how did we get so far from God? Um, what What happened um, to us?" And so his 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 tactics, in a sense, um, work.
2: We're doing that. I see. It's been a while since I looked at the uh, text of terror, but I, I have utmost respect for that. So it wasn't fresh on my mind
1: mm-hmm. what
2: it um, what that analysis is. Going back to your talking about people doing what's right in their own eyes, um, and you analogized it to our own country, um, the one that we share, Though others that may be viewing this are from other places, but everywhere there's a necessity for a rule of law. And so this is basically saying there is no rule of law. Mm -hmm. And we see constantly the attacks to overthrow what has been precedence, what has been legislated, what has been... Um, institutionalized, uh, kind of a free for all. And I think we find ourselves in a time where so much is up in the air. There's not much we can do about the fact it's already up in the air now. Things are destabilized. But I think it puts a real burden on us to take onus and responsibility of how things are going to settle back down. Um, When I think about rule of law, I think about again, we talked about, we hinted at it last session, Formation, where in spiritual formation, we say it's imperative to have a rule of life. So not just as a communal rule of law, but as a personal and individual commitment to have a a, a rule of life. What I'm challenged to do and I'm hesitant now because I've not consulted what the scholars say. And I have great regard for what multiple minds arrive at. And especially in this kind of a text, I'm trying to see and I didn't just start i made one venture to try to write about this text and never touched it again. But uh, some say that often in scripture, women are given not just to speak broadly to what's happening to women, but to the body of Christ. And we can certainly see where the body of Christ is severed, whether it's in terms of denomination, uh, things that are not the basic tenets of the faith, more, more, uh, uh I don't wanna say fringe ideas because they're still important, but where there's severing among evangelicals where there's great political division, um, where there's arguments against what is public and private territory, what is sacred and secular. So I wonder to some extent, have we displayed to the world a severing of the faith, which should be a rally call to the Benjamites, to the least of the tribes, to the smallest of the tribes, to say, listen, let's let's consider it, let's talk about it, let's do something about it, let's take some responsibility. Um so I'm looking at it both in terms of uh, the feminine issues as well as in terms of body of Christ issues. And mm-hmm. as women, um, it, it is a call to the to us as women as well. Um I don't wanna go further than um, Lisa's taking us at this point, but but it does say something to us about the need for unity, the need for support. We we, we don't hear from the women, but we see them as key characters. We see them as mercenaries. We see them as give and take exchange. We see them as being chattel, numbered right along with the two donkeys he takes and the concubine. Mm -hmm. So in that list of possessions, but i think there is some hope and maybe we'll get to that later on uh, despite all that mm-hmm.
1: yeah i think there is some hope and i i know for me i um i had i had a friend uh who uh had a sister who experienced something similar to the concubine um and i remember when she called and shared with me what had happened like just complete and utter devastation you know it's like in my mind I was like I don't even have a category for for what you're sharing um with me and like literally just being like sick to my stomach and heaving and crying and just not just disoriented you know it's just a very disorienting um thing and even you know and I'm not even in, in close proximity to it as as she and her sister um word. Uh, but I remember being brought to this text um, because for me I'm always like, okay, Lord, like help me. <laughs> like I need you to give me something, you know. Um, and where are where are these experiences in the Bible? And how how do we how do we respond to them? You know, and so reading this text and being really grieved over what happened to the the concubine woman. Um, but finding, finding some hope in these last three, these instructions that, that, that are given, um, one to think, think it over, (laughs) think about what just happened, you know, uh, discuss it, try to figure out, you know, why it happened, you know, have a conversation about it. And then thirdly to speak up, you know, so this wasn't just supposed to be something that had just happened and everybody just kind of brushes it under the rug and goes on about their day, but there was this expectation that there would be a response. And we see in chapter 20 that there was a response. There was, there was war against the Benjamites because they had uh, allowed this to happen in their town. You know, this house wasn't just, you know, like it was in proximity to other homes, (laughs) you know, like, and so not, not only were those men uh, held accountable, but the whole community was being held accountable for what had happened. And so for me, it just, to see that kind of accountability in the Bible, right. To see justice enacted in the Bible, um, gave me hope because it gives me a picture of the kind of God that we serve that he doesn't just brush these incidents under the rug, you know, I stand corrected
2: because I had the Benjamites in the wrong role. So thank you for getting me back into the text. Cause I was seeing that differently. Um, I don't, I don't wanna cut off the rest of your statement. I just wanna make sure I corrected what I was saying. Yeah. It, it's in your face, domestic violence. It's in your face, abuse. It's in your face, in our faces, emotional uh, dismissal uh, and denigration. But it's, it's more than, the, it's the physical, it's the emotional, it's the social, it's the institutional, it's beyond marginalization. Um, it is a total dehumanization of uh, partially, I, I think we can't ignore the gender issue and then we can subsequently, so we don't over-spiritualize, see it as God's bride, as the church not having the voice. But my, I find hope in another place. I don't mm-hmm. know if this is the point. Uh Miss Lisa, you want me to put that in or or someplace else? Go for it. No, you're fine. My, the hope I see is yes at the end, um, but also, you know, people... We've heard whether it was slavery or individual um, sex trafficking or whatever, we've heard people say, oh, they like it, they prefer this, as though there's a contentment with their condition. This woman seeks to exert some human agency. She leaves and we didn't see the insights of the home she left or the house she left, but she left and given his personality, it couldn't have been too good. The fact that she leaves, or his, his ways, his mannerisms, uh, was an effort, I don't think so much to get to daddy's house, but to get away from what she, so she doesn't just accept it, I'm stuck mm-hmm. here, I can't do anything about it. From the little bit I do remember, and this might've came from Phyllis Tribble. She was considered a secondary wife, a shifla, um, mm-hmm. which meant she had, she was above a slave. She had some options and many times in that culture, and correct my history again, the Shiflis weren't expected to leave their father's house in the beginning. So since everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes, she had left the place where we think automatically the wife is going to go to be with the husband. But I do recall there's some writings that suggest she was supposed to stay there, but he was allowed to take her away, maybe because of his status or whatever. But she tries to get away from him. Hmm. And when she gets there, then then there's this this thing about no one ever says it's not right to do this to her. It's not right to do this to the Levite, which you brought out, Ms. Johnna. He's not the one going out being subjected to gang rape. Um, But somehow what happens to her is impacting his influence, his image, and his status with little or no regard to her human, her self-agency. I think the fact That after all the abuse, we assume she suffered all night long, whether that's ages, eons, decades, or whatever. She tries to make it back. She tries to get in out of the street. That is the most touching part to me on on top of the abuse. That she has, in my mind, she is inched, she is crawled, scarred, beaten, broken. And she's trying to get back. And somewhere in my mind, um, he's getting ready to leave. He knows she's not in the house. It doesn't look like he's going out to look for her. It's like, as he goes, she's in, the, she's on the doorstep as a reminder that I'm the one you threw away. Mm-hmm. I picture, and I don't know if it was in some translation I read a long time ago or what, but the image in my mind is that she's there um, reaching for the door, for the doorknob, that she's stretched out. And there's this play on words in this text between house and home. She leaves this house trying to get home. She is brought back to a house that's not a home. He takes her and says, we want habitat here for the night. We're gonna go there. Somebody says, come into my home. She's put out of the home into the street. So she's homeless. She tries to get back. And it's looking for a place to land, a place to settle, a place of recognition, not even honor, not even privilege but just a place, Um, this is the ultimate of displaced physically. Um, And I I see this happening on levels that we don't call abuse, but women in ministry that can't find an opening, can't find a footing, Women that have been divorced, that are somehow ostracized or stigmatized, women that are professional and not married and stigmatized for not being married. Uh, any, anyway, you have too many children, you don't have enough children, you have too much education, you didn't get any. Um, it's like where where is that place where our efforts, because she she's trying to make it, the woman's done what she can to, to do something. So that's enough uh, for me, but um our, uh, break
0: it, break it out for us.
1: <laughs> no, these are great. These are great. These are great. These are great observations. I
0: love that. When I think about uh, how the Levite and the um, guy whose house they were staying at pushed her out, it makes me think of Noah. And when mm-hmm. the uh, the angels came and they tried to get um get the the two angels to come outside so they could basically gang rape them. That Noah is like, no, take my daughters and it seems that there is there is this uh idea in the old testament that it's okay to to rape a woman um uh, but there is a gross evil to rape a man and so uh the ways in which they kind of put one one uh sin over uh, the other is uh you know what we deal with in our culture where people see this uh this particular sin as greater than the other and they'll sacrifice other things um, for that. I remember um, Roland Martin talked about Ken Starr. Ken Starr was the prosecutor um, in Bill Clinton's uh, trial for uh, uh, when he was impeached and he was really hard on, you know, Bill Clinton being immoral. Ken Starr also was big a big um, proponent of um traditional marriage. However, uh, when he went to Baylor um, some years later, he covered up the fact that some football players were raping women, were raping some of the women, the students. And um, Roland Martin called out his hypocrisy because he's like, you didn't stand up and have the same energy um, when when these young girls were being sexually assaulted by football players. You covered that up, but you had such a public proclamation um, for these other things. And so we see that same inconsistency in the text. And I think we see that in just American culture in general. And I think that's something that we have to wrestle with when we come to this text and when we go to the passage around Noah as well.
1: Yeah. And man, you saying that, Lisa, it's just it. It brings this thought to mind that you know that it is a distorted understanding of humanity that is a, that is rooted in a distorted understanding of uh you know what well, you know the doctrine of, of mago day you know uh, that male and female are created in the image of God and that there has there has been this hierarchy we keep coming back to this word this hierarchy uh um, that we create um that around people, right? Mm-hmm. And because we create this hierarchy around people, it puts people in in danger, you know, um, uh, puts them at risk for oppression and puts them at risk to being gang raped. Um and this is so contra like how God intended the world to be. Like this is not what he intended. Like in the beginning, heaven and earth <laughs> male and female created in the image of God, like uh, honor, respect, harmony, man and female standing before one another unashamed, you know, like, um, and and so all of this, like literally is rooted in the curse of of sin, the curse of of the fall. And I think when I come to texts like this, it just, it, it helps me to understand what God meant when he said, you know, uh, if you eat, from the fruit of of this tree like that um you will surely die you know um and i even think about how the name of the tree is a tree of, of of good and evil right god didn't want us to eat from that tree because he didn't want us to know what evilness was you know like like but but because because adam and eve ate from that tree now we know like the depths of evilness, you know, um, and we we experience that in this text. We experience this with George Floyd. Like we experience this with Breonna Taylor. We experience this with people at the border. There are still people at the border, <laughs> you know. There are still children in camps separated from their their families. Like it's just it's pervasive, mm-hmm. um, and and it's and it all comes back to us having a distorted view. Of humanity, a distorted view of what it means uh, to be human, and creating these unnecessary hierarchies that that God never intended us to to live by. And so, I don't know. I just got real emotional and mad. Um, just got so mad. we do feel like picking
2: up a brick, right? But <laughs> yeah. um, or throwing some kerosene or gasoline somewhere and light a match. But we keep pointing to that hope. That in this woman, after all she had undergone, there was still something in her trying to reach out and still trying to, still trying to travel, still trying to make some movement, trying to make some progress. And we've seen that in our foreparents, our grandparents, our their grandparents, they made, they, it was inch by inch or foot by foot, but they, they moved, they, they had progress, they pressed their way. And there's that. That pressing, who is it that calls um, black women in particular the mule of the world? Uh, I have to think who's writing that was. Uh, and, and at first, that feels very adverse. But there is that I'm gonna bear this burden and get somewhere with it. I'm, I, I know what was done. Maybe I wasn't born in the best circumstances. Didn't live in the. But I'm, but I'm 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 gonna find a place. I'm gonna keep pressing. the The other thing that grieves me in this text, there's so much that grieves me. Is the um, hierarchies exist, and there's an imposed hierarchy on the women. There is this virgin woman, as opposed to this other woman who's out in the street, and uh, none of them, none of them have voice. But this one woman has had protection to this point. She's been in the house to this point. She's not been exposed. If she was deluded or had illusions that that protection would endure, that she'd stay there and always be safety. She saw how fragile and how thin the membrane was between her being in the house and any moment she could be out of the house. Mm-hmm. And it reminds those uh, among us who may believe our pretenses of education or, or uh, economic status or whatever, dimension, that there's a thin membrane. And while one moment we think we're in the house, (laughs) it's Mm -hmm. not our house. Mm -hmm. And at any moment, we may be the one that's out of the house. So it keeps us from um, settling back. Uh, I I feel comfortable using my old-fashioned terms, because we've said that part of this is to highlight the, uh, you, you, I say intergenerational and you say multi-generational dialogue, but the old phrase of resting on our laurels, I haven't figured out what laurels are yet. Unless it's, <laughs> unless laurels But uh, it challenges us not to find comfort and to think that we of all, like Esther, have found a place to stay because mm-hmm. we can easily be called. When the sister's out in the street getting gang raped, I'm out. Mm-hmm. All right. So when she's out there, I'm out there. And there there is a a connection as demented and sick as it is in the mind of the men between the women. You know, you're expendable and you're expendable. But I I pray that we take a hint from that and recognize that there ought to be more than a connection uh, among the sisterhood, not one that's rallying against maleness, but one that is pro agency for women to support women uh, in healthcare, uh, single mothers, frail women, older women, uh, abandoned women, even women who are seemingly successful. They have the support. Um, I won't go into one of my stories, but um, I might later on. But so uh, let's let's keep bringing the hope up to the surface because she is not entirely passive. And we must not assume passivity uh on her part. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh Lisa, I wanna I wanna uh ask you a question because I know that we've talked about this. Um is that you know sometimes when people are reading the Bible and they encounter a text like this, um they 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 throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? Like they uh come to a place where uh, they uh, question uh, God, uh, question, you know, his existence, question, like, how could he allow something like this to happen? Um, how how do you respond uh, to folks like that? Because I know that you've interacted with that question um, quite a bit.
0: Yeah, I think uh, one of the things is to, for people, when they think of the scripture, especially the Old Testament, is to think through what's prescriptive and descriptive. And this is not God saying, this is what my way is. It's just, this is what happens when people have their own way.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: a part of being human is having free will. And the consequence of free will is is he- evil human actions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's one of the ways to think through it. Uh, but I think also Dr. Joe Vitale talks about this, the fact that God doesn't forget about what happens to the woman,
1: mm-hmm. that
0: it was so important that people see, like, I'm not going to cover this up. God is like, this is going to be a part of the canon. So people will know, even if we don't know the concubine's name, we know the injustice that happened to her. Mm-hmm. And that is that should be encouraging to to people that God sees, even the most horrendous evils that happens to us, and he's not trying to cover it up. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's that exposure in which we could be healed um, to know that these are things that happen to us in the common experience. It doesn't mean God uh, is is, uh, commissioning them. It doesn't mean that he desires them, but this is a part of the human experience. And the Bible is... Such a relatable book, we can find our human struggles in it. That we don't look at the Bible and see a fairy tale. Um, and if we looked at the Bible and saw a fairy tale, as Joe Vitale says, we wouldn't be able, we wouldn't, <laughs> we wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to relate to it because none of our lives are a fairy tale. And we need to have a, a book and a, a scripture to guide us that looks at the complexities of life, the ugliness of life, and then points us to that hope that comes um, and that we could be encouraged and that we could be comforted. And, and with that comfort, we could, like Paul says, comfort others. Um, so that's a a little Amen. bit of my compliment.
1: I love that. I love that. And you're bringing us back to that hope, you know, of uh, God sees the concubine. He doesn't forget the concubine. He sees her. And make make sure that that her her story, the injustice that happened against her, is recorded in his book. Um, and so I love that. It reminds me of the story of Hagar, you know, where uh, she she proclaims God to be the God who sees. And so, um, you know, if 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 trauma, sexual trauma, abuse is is a part of any of our listeners story, I pray that they would know like that, that God, God didn't look away, you know, but that he, he, he sees them and that he remembers them and that justice will shine like the noonday sun, you know, um, it will, that's, that's the word. Um, and, uh, we may not know when the noonday sun is coming, (laughs) but it will, but it will come. It will come. And so, um, we are you got something to say? Yeah, go ahead, Dr. Cynthia. Always. Um,
2: <laughs> and and not only will God not look away, but we will not look away. Amen. Amen. Um, there's um this this severing limb to limb, this dismemberment, this fragmentation of the body. Um, I don't know, for fun, do either of you have vocal abilities?
0: No, I don't.
2: Okay, so well, I, everybody knows I don't. So, in your mind, remember um, whether it may have been in some Baptist congregations or maybe some holiness sets, but where they would sing that "Remember Me." Do you remember? Can you hear that moan in your in that re? You know, just I don't want to try to do it because that would just tear up the podcast. <laughs> but, but but it's a long, dragged out "Remember." You remember that? Mm -hmm. And so I've heard the analogy and, and I've used it in pulpits. It was coming back to me as you were both talking. That that's not just we God won't look away and we won't look away. We will cognitively remember. But our prayer is that as each that each member of the body be remembered, that we will be put back together. In other words, the lost arm be brought back to the body the lost kneecap, be remembered. Something that is um, the opposite, the antithesis of dismemberment would be rememberment. I know there's no such word, but I think you get the concept. Amen. And so the prayer that comes out of this is a prayer to be remembered. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's the, the uh, African diaspora, um, wh- whether whatever the dimension is, remember us whether it is uh, my ancestors' wisdom and knowledge and fortitude that I've lost, uh, remember me. Remember, put all the pieces that go into who I am, the divine investments, the historical investments, the gender investments, all the pieces that go into who I am, put it back together. Remember me, lest I be fragmented and pieces of me be scattered and this one lays claim to my mind and this one lays claims to my this and this one lays claim to that aspect. But I am a creation of God, whole and entire and unified. Um, and, and that sense, I'm sitting up taller in my chair, that mm-hmm. sense of coming together, mm-hmm. of, of being prime and primary and predominant on the in the heart and the mind of God. So the prayer, I think, is one of, Remember me.
1: Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Man. I'll never sing that song the same again. Um, thank you for that. that great. Well, you do
2: sing, you could have sang that
1: for us. Well, you know, I just I decided to keep that because okay. I knew what was coming. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't gonna have me out here. Um, <laughs> you know, um man, Lisa, thank you so much uh for being with us. Today, um, it really means a lot to have you on um, the podcast. You know me. You know how I, you know how I feel about you. You're a real one. <laughs> you. I know you don't like this, but you are the the P Diddy of of, of Kingdom work um, <laughs> visionary. Um, and I'm just so thankful to the Lord. Um, not not only just for the partnership that we've been able to share um, in the gospel, but really for the friendship you know, that that you called and check on me and uh, make sure I'm doing well uh, and that you spurred me on, you know. And so thank you so much uh, just for being with us today and um, just for being obedient to what the Lord has called you um, to do.
0: Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been a joy.
1: Yeah, yeah. Dr. Cindy, do you have any closing words for us? Um, I do.
2: And I want to say that it's been a privilege to sit with both of you. I may not have the a familiar exchange that the two of you have on ongoing basis, but let me say about uh, Miss Yana that I found her to be astute, to be uh, uh, things that I don't that we assume are there. But I want to underscore her articulateness, but most of all her searching uh, in terms of her mind searching of the text and her openness uh, to sit with me and to include me in her generational voice. Uh, I wanted to underscore what many know who follow uh, uh, this project, the Jew Three Project, and that is Ms. Lisa Fields uh, is not only a promoter and a producer, uh, but she has created a platform. Many of us speak, but she has created a platform for others, which goes beyond the normal expectation. And it's And when one does that, One takes both the kudos and the applause, but also the hits and the knocks that are not always visible because we don't see her scars if she has any. But I know that in this uh, competitive world, it means that inviting comment means one invites positive and criticism. Uh, And I've seen her handle that with tremendous grace and still keep going. Uh, It means that, uh, and, and to my amazement, and no doubt probably the amazement of others, she's been able to garner different voices of different opinions and bring them to her table and it's nice to see a woman with the table uh and and not always agree when they leave and some possibly feeling like they didn't have the seat they should have had at the table but it is her table and god gave it to her and so i'm delighted um to be uh among those who are in the folds of your skirts and uh, i applaud you for being a woman of god a woman who uh is inebriated with scripture and a woman who has arms big enough to embrace multiple generations. Thank you.
1: Thank you
0: so much, Dr. James. I appreciate it.
1: Yeah. Oh, that was great. That was so great. And Dr. Cynthia James, I have loved getting to know you. It has been such a treat. Um, Let's make it the beginning. (laughs) Yeah. um, It's been such a treat. I know uh, i just, you know, have admired you from afar and it's always so sweet and beautiful when you can get up close to people and to see that they're really made of the stuff that you thought they were made of. And so uh, thank you for just being um, a woman of humility and of grace and of truth <laughs> and sass <laughs> and fun. Um yeah, I really wish people could see some of the the, the off camera stuff <laughs> that that we. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, Thank you. But it's, That's it's enough. Actually, Thank you. Been <laughs> been Thank, you. Been
0: Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Jew Three Project podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. You can tune into all our past episodes at wwwju 3 projectcom You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play. Remember not only to subscribe, but also rate us. That helps us to gauge how we're doing and how you're enjoying the show. And it gives other listeners some ideas about the show as well so thank you so much for tuning in also remember we have our bible engagement app in partnership with back to the bible to help you get better engaged